This is the Healthcare Podcast, your B2B show for the best thought leadership in the industry, bringing you information, education, and inspiration, only on MarketScale. No industry, including sick care, can be fixed from inside. For every one hour that they spend on patient care, they're spending up to two hours on EHR data entry. Welcome to the Healthcare Podcast. I'm your host, Shelby Skirhawk. Now, I'm sure if you have a pulse, you've faced the frustrating task of dealing with health insurance and not just dealing with what's covered and what's not, but the lack of transparency and pricing. For example, I spent a couple of hours yesterday trying to track down costs for an MRI, knowing that costs vary widely by imaging facility, and I got nowhere. So, so much for being a responsible healthcare consumer. Today, we're talking about healthcare consumerism and the disruptive nature of new technology with Ryan Coplin, co-founder of the healthcare concierge app, HealthWallet. Austin-based HealthWallet is putting patients in the driver's seat when it comes to navigating their healthcare journey. Ryan, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Now, when we talk about healthcare consumerism, we're talking about patients taking a more active role in their healthcare decision-making, and that does include the cost. And that's where healthcare concierges like HealthWallet come in because they give consumers that information that's not readily available to them. So Ryan, I guess my, my first question is, and pardon my own frustration, but why does pricing an MRI have to be so difficult? I mean, without a healthcare concierge to use, why is it so hard for patients to be financially conscious consumers? Yeah, I think that a lot of that has really been driven by the insurance carriers and the way in which they handle their contracted reimbursement rates with provider groups. We used to use this kind of analogy all the time. They actually refer to their reimbursement rates and their contracted arrangements with provider groups as their proprietary trade secrets. And so unfortunately that has a pretty uh, negative and adverse impact on the people that are that are obviously looking to pay for and seek these healthcare services. As the cost of health insurance continues to rise, there's a gravitation towards you know high deductible health plans, and that's putting a lot of the financial responsibility back on the health plan members, where you know traditionally there was relatively low deductibles and copays compared to the type of health plans that people are purchasing now just because of the premium associated with them. And so there's this natural convergence of people that are seeking health care, but also are considerably more financially responsible for the services. But they're you know, still buying these services, for lack of a better way to describe that process, from an organization that is fundamentally unwilling to provide cost and quality information because it's a conflict of interest with all of the provider groups that they're contracted with. Well, so what are some of the ways, I mean, you mentioned high deductible plans, but what are some of these other ways that we're starting to see a shift away from how things have been done to uh, what kind of disruption is enabling new ways of looking at healthcare? Yeah, so there's obviously a pretty significant cry for transparency as it pertains to medical cost information, so much so that they're pushing through executive orders at a regulatory level, but the emergence of uh, virtual healthcare delivery mechanisms, 
and the remote ability for people to seek care in a way that wasn't traditionally available is a far more effective and efficient delivery strategy and is subsequently considerably more cost effective. And so a lot of these uh, employer groups that are purchasing health insurance for their employees are looking at the line item associated with that. And as a function of their P&L, it's representing a considerable and significant chunk of their cost and one of the largest line items. So they're they're looking to come up with more innovative ways to try and mitigate some of that plan expense and virtual healthcare, telemedicine, and some of the new availability of transparency tools and shopping mechanisms for healthcare are becoming increasingly prevalent and now are actually starting to be truly integrated into health plans, which is going to obviously help to perpetuate some of the healthcare consumerism responsibilities and, and capabilities. But there's just obviously a, a natural gravitation towards any sort of more cost-effective solution as the member responsibilities growing because of these high deductible health plans. So, you know, nowadays with the emergence of the Amazons of the world, people are doing quite a bit of due diligence prior to making purchasing decisions in pretty much everything other than, you know, one of the more critical consumerism elements, which is our own healthcare. Right. So you mentioned that uh, we're seeing telehealth and, and virtual healthcare starting to pop up as available for patients in covered in, in their plans and, and maybe even in some of the, the pharmacies um, offering that type of availability. But it occurs to me, though, that I wonder what the use of those particular elements are without education, without explaining how it works, and just a little bit more for one, the people that are already a little bit weary of technology, and these are going to be maybe the older consumers that just feel more comfortable in person. And two, even the technologically savvy consumers, there's just not, I don't think, a great awareness of what you can and cannot do in telemedicine. So is that something that you're observing there, that maybe the adoption rates are coming a little bit slower, even though pharmacies and healthcare providers and, and, and plans themselves are offering these telemedicine opportunities? Yeah, I, I definitely tend to agree that as compared to most technological disruption sort of capabilities, telehealth has lagged a little bit behind um, in terms of just the, the global utilization of that service, particularly because, as you mentioned, um, there's sometimes a little bit of reluctance to try new things or to step out of the confines of what people have been and are comfortable with for years. So, you know, what I think has been a natural deterrent, but also created some opportunity when uh, looked at it a little bit different, is the fact that telehealth has traditionally been for primary care related services. Uh, however, you know, most folks uh, have had a dedicated primary care provider that, you know, they know a little bit more than just uh, somebody who's giving them occasional medical advice and they have some some history with, with those folks. So that's been a natural barrier to utilization. But what I also think has stifled uh, the adoption of these services is a lot of these organizations are still providing these services with some sort of member financial responsibility. So when these things really started coming out of the gate, somebody would have to pay 25 to $100 in order for them to try something that they're not necessarily familiar with that is also 
potentially impactful to the quality of their healthcare and subsequently their lives. And so that was a natural barrier to, I think, trying it for the first time. So what we did, particularly um, at Health Wallet and even in some of my previous professional scenarios as an employee benefits consultant strategist, we decided to um, waive those member responsibility scenarios and let them try it for free and have the health plan or the employer group pick up the cost of the telehealth visit because they were going to pay for them to go to the doctor anyway. It's just considerably less to the plan when done virtually. And so if everybody gets fundamentally aligned the right way and they're incentivizing their employees and subsequently their dependents and plan members to utilize these services and reducing the barrier to trying it for the first time, that's when they start to realize just like everything else, it's considerably easier, more effective and efficient for them to talk to their doctor over the phone rather than, you know, having to forego a copay equivalent in order for them to try for the first time. Well, that's, that's a great idea and a great incentive to to help people who are a little bit unsure of, of navigating those waters. Uh, we had um, kind of pulling back the curtain a little bit before the call, we talked a little bit about the supply chain and how things are shifting to kind of cut the middleman out. And that's involving both large and small corporations that are self-funded insurance. Will you explain uh, kind of what's happening there and what impact that has for healthcare? Sure. So as I mentioned before, uh, my background was as a partner at a employee benefits consulting firm before we decided to, to build Health Wallet, And so our entire strategy was around changing the supply chain to the benefit of our plan sponsors by putting them in a what we called a loss-sensitive or a self-funded, self-insured sort of environment. When you do that, instead of buying insurance off the shelf, um, you now have a lot more flexibility to control who you buy prescriptions from, how you incentivize your employees to seek care in certain capacities and incentivize them, incentivizing them for doing that because that helps to perpetuate cost mitigation and some of those other things. So a really good example and something that's becoming very prevalent these days is, you know, there's a lot of buzz in the media right now about the cost of prescriptions and drugs, particularly as it pertains to the inflation of those prices for pharmacy benefit management companies that act as intermediaries between pharma companies and insurance plans. And alongside of that, there's a cry for transparency as it pertains to the cost of medical procedures and the lack of availability of that data. So because of that, there are some more progressive employer groups and subsequently benefit uh, advisors that are kind of undoing that traditional supply chain arrangement instead of buying insurance from an insurance company that says, here's our preferred formulary, here's where you buy drugs, you know, here's what they cost. They're skipping that and they're starting to contract directly with local pharmacies, local provider groups, uh, local health systems, and they're doing it in a way that is economically beneficial for both of those organizations and can actually help to kind of perpetuate some of that local community economic stimulus because those pharmacy benefit middlemen, as an example, you know, they're eating into the margin of the local pharmacy and they're overcharging the health plan and the employer group for the drug. So if you cut them out and contract directly between the local pharmacies and the employer groups, they both come out net better by a mile. And so that's an example of, you know, how that's obviously started to change. That was traditionally only kind of available for larger organizations that could justify 
uh, self-insuring. When I say self-insuring, I also mean partially self-insuring. So, you know, the traditional thought process when somebody says self-insuring is how could I possibly do that in one catastrophic claim and we're dead. There's insurance companies that allow you to buy catastrophic stop-loss insurance. So uh, they can help kind of mitigate probability that if and when there's a large expensive claim, they bear some of that risk, not all of it. Um, but what that does is it puts these organizations in an environment where they get to make a lot more of the decisions about where these health services come from and how. And because of the cost of health insurance and the trajectory in which that's continuing to climb, these self-funded strategies have come way down market as far as 25 employee life groups. And so, you know, as that starts to happen, there's a much wider opportunity for people to deploy some of these strategies because there's far more small to medium-sized businesses than there are, you know, large letterhouse institutions. Is that scalable though? When you say that, you know, they contract with a local pharmacy, so it's not going to be a national chain, but maybe, uh, one pharmacy that has one location in town, or I guess, does that then limit the level of choice for, uh, for the ones that are covered under this benefit? And is it scalable up for, you know, maybe larger cities where people can be dispersed all over the several city area and not be able to meet that one particular pharmacy? Yeah. So a lot of times what happens is instead of, you know, when they contract with a local pharmacy or something like that, that doesn't mean that that's the exclusive supply chain. They could still go down to CVS and buy their drugs. So it doesn't reduce the capacity of people being able to procure the services that they need. It gives them an option. And because they've contract, because the health plan would have contracted direct with that local pharmacy and they're trying to incentivize employees to go that route, what they'll do is potentially have maybe two tiers of copays, one of which is anywhere one of which is if you go specifically to this pharmacy and they would incentivize them by dangling the metaphorical carrot, if you will, to seek care in those capacities. And when they do that, they'll even get a strategic as saying intentionally spreading those copays out. So what used to be a $20 generic copay at CVS, they may make it $40, but with a $0 generic copay, if you go to XYZ pharmacy and kind of, uh, you know, helping to, provide more cost-effective options for their members and their employees that are subsequently more cost-effective avenues for the health plan to be picking up the rest of the cost of some of those services and, and drugs. Yeah. Well, and that, so that does make total sense because it can be hard to convince uh, patients and consumers and, and employees to to do a certain thing or to follow a certain a certain plan or I guess follow certain suggestions for care. I guess it's a little bit like herding cats, maybe. But what are some of the obstacles that typically patients face, but then also you know benefits administrators and and the people that are trying to to introduce more consumerism into the market that again has not been user friendly for people to understand all of what's happening. Yeah, good question. So uh, I'm going to give a, a biased answer to the question. Uh, that's why we created Health Wallet. Health Wallet is a mobile application that is, um, you know, everybody obviously now uses their smartphone as a fifth permanently affixed appendage. So what we decided to do is take some of those more innovative strategies uh, and make sure that our members were very aware and uh, of the advantages by using those and made them easy 
as easy as possible to to access and as convenient as possible for them to access by putting all of those uh, more strategic health plan strategies when it comes to consumerism and stewardship all in one spot in a mobile app that they can download that's set up for them the second that they download it. You know, we you made an analogy a second ago like herding cats. We actually, in several scenarios, used to actually use a statement like that to illustrate kind of what we're doing is it's difficult to herd cats, but you can move their food. <laughs> and so, you know, there's a obviously a direct correlation with if we're a health plan or an employer group and we're trying to get our employees to do this, then make it considerably more efficient and cost effective for them to do it. And they will. And then put it all in an app that makes it, you know, when they use the app, they're subsequently uh, perpetuating those services, whether they know it or not. And it's positioned to them as convenient, cost effective and accessible 24-7 via their smartphones. Absolutely. Making it easier for, I guess, for both sides of the equation, huh? Yep. And when you align them philosophically uh, and financially, then instead of having kind of inverse market pressures around the consumerism element, you know, you can build plan designs and and put uh, services within health plans like telehealth, for instance, that if you make it free for them to use, they will. And it cuts the plan expense for the employer and the health plan considerably by them seeking care in those short, more virtual environments uh, and some of those sort of things. Ryan, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate all the insight. Yeah, uh, definitely. I enjoyed it. For more healthcare industry news, visit marketscale.com slash industries. Until next time, I'm your host, Shelby Skirhawk.